Well, friends, it is good to be back. Uh, Laura, Daisy, Levi, and myself, we had some time away. We got to visit my family up in uh, Michigan for a few days. Um, and we also got to go to uh, essentially a family re- reunion with Laura's side of the family up in Vermont. Um, and I'd never been to Vermont before. That was a beautiful area. enjoyed being up there. And uh, so I'm grateful uh, for that time away. And uh, I'm also grateful for two of our own women who filled in while I was gone, uh, Eliza and Courtney, who did a fantastic job preparing excellent sermons that were uh, inspiring and helpful and, and doctrinally sound. So didn't they do a good job uh, if you were here? Yeah, amen. Uh, make sure that you thank them uh, for preparing that. Uh, but today, uh, I'm continuing our sermon series on the world's greatest sermon, which is, of course, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, and as a reminder, Jesus concludes this whole sermon by saying, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And of course, you know about the house that was built upon the sand and what happened to that house. The words of this sermon, they're meant to be put into practice. They're meant for Christians to put into practice. And that's really concerning because so much of what we've covered so far has been demanding and countercultural and against the desires of our own flesh. But I have to say, I think no other subject in the Sermon on the Mount is more neglected, if not totally disregarded, as Jesus' teaching on fasting. And you might already be thinking, Nate, with everything going on in the world, a world that's still shaken by the pandemic, the ongoing crisis in Ukraine, the refugee crisis, the immigration crisis, the environmental crises, mass shooting and gun violence crisis, abortion, churches that are struggling post-pandemic, divisions of various kinds, and a lost world that needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of this going on, and with my own personal struggles and to seek God for myself, why would we spend any time this morning talking about skipping a few meals? Friends, I want to commend to you, it's precisely these types of things that drove the ancestors of our faith to their knees in fasting and prayer. You read through the whole Bible, it's these types of crises, this desire to seek God that prompted the people of God to fast and pray. So it's because of all of the crises in the world and in our lives that we should be driven to fasting before God. You know, recently I was visiting my parents, not this past week, but a time before, and um, I was kind of snooping through their closet, because there's kinds of all different, like, memorabilia in there and different pictures, and this is just interesting. And I happened upon a treasure. It was a remake of the classic entertainment system known as the Super Nintendo. Yeah, yeah. For those of you who don't know, it's a video game system from the early 1990s that people in my generation grew up on as a child and you loved. And here it is, was just sitting in my parents' closet. And it looked totally unopened and unplayed with. It was, there was some stuff still in the wrapping. I brought it upstairs and I said, did you guys know this was in there? Like, no, not, not, not really. Are you using it? No. Can I have it? <laughs> sure, go ahead. Now, if anybody wants to play Super Nintendo later, just let me know. I'd be happy to play some Mario with you. 
Uh, it's a good time. I've been playing it. It's great. Yeah, Drew, Xavier, we'll play, we'll play with you guys. Um, now, this is a silly illustration, admittedly, but hang with me. This is how we treat the gift of fasting. It's a powerful treasure. It is a powerful tool that for most Christians, it's just sitting in the closet, gathering dust, and they don't even know that it's there. That's what we're doing with the gift of fasting. But oh, what power we are missing out on with all the evil that we see in our world. We need to bust fasting out of our spiritual closets, dust it off, and start wielding this weapon of righteousness. Now, Jesus is teaching on fasting. It's at the conclusion of a section that started back at the beginning of Matthew chapter 6. Uh, you're invited to turn there if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles or on your phone. But in the beginning of chapter 6, it's up by Jesus is saying, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, what follows after this are what Jesus considers to be acts of righteousness. We've covered them, giving, praying, and fasting. These were the three essential duties and spiritual disciplines of a pious Jewish person. Almsgiving, giving to the poor, praying, fasting. Jesus seemingly considers that these three things are on the same spiritual level. He tackles them all at the same time. Do you consider these things to be on the same spiritual level? I mean, how would you evaluate the spiritual, spiritual maturity of someone who never gave to the poor? How would you evaluate the spiritual maturity of someone who never prayed? You know what's coming next. How would you evaluate the spiritual maturity of someone who never fasted? It should be the same rubric. John Wesley was a proponent of restoring fasting in his day, and he said, The man that never fasts is no more in the way to heaven than the man that never prays. The neglect of this is sufficient to account for our feebleness and faintness of spirit. We are continually grieving the Holy Spirit by the habitual neglect of a plain duty. Let us amend from this hour. Do you ever wonder why? Why don't I feel stronger spiritually? Why don't I feel more spiritual passion? Wesley, Wesley, John Wesley would say, it's probably because you're not fasting. Do you want more spiritual strength? Do you want to feel closer to God? Do you want to have more passion and hunger for God? Take up the discipline of fasting. Jesus said to his disciples, when you fast, we've covered this in each of the sections, right? When you, fa when you give, when you pray, when you fast. It was his expectation that his disciples would be people who fasted. And of course, he critiques the, pra the practice of fasting as practiced by the Pharisees, the, the ostentatious uh, display of trying to gain glory for yourself. But however, as Martin Luther put it, it was not Christ's intention to reject or despise fasting. It was his intention to restore proper fasting. So from the Old Testament, through Jesus, and the New Testament, and the early church, through church history, fasting has been part of the life of God's people. Jesus taught and expected this. But why? What is the purpose of fasting? What does it do? I'm going to make it very simple for you in one sentence. We fast to pursue God, to purify ourselves, and to practice justice. I'm a pastor, so I made an alliteration. We got three Ps. We fast to pursue God, 
to purify ourselves and to practice justice. Let's, let's break this down. Number one, we fast to pursue God. This is essentially, this is the main point of what Jesus is teaching. When you fast, you know, don't look somber. Don't, don't do all these things to show others you are fasting. No, fast only to your Father who is unseen. Before the eyes of your Father, and your Father will reward you. So we fast for God's sake, for His pleasure, for His reward. We fast not to please people, but to please God. Marjorie Thompson took a survey of all the different fasts in the Bible. She broke it down into basically there are two biblical purposes for fasting. Number one, to express personal or corporate repentance. And number two, to receive strength or guidance to complete a mission in God's name. And I think this essentially this boils down to pursuing God, either in repentance or seeking His guidance, seeking His strength, seeking God Himself. It's about pursuing God alone. It's a way to show the seriousness of our repentance, the seriousness of our prayer and pursuit of God. I think fasting also, for most of us, it reveals how little we are willing to do to pursue God. It reveals our idolatries to the pleasures of this world. Again, Marjorie Thompson, she says, how often have we neglected to remember God's presence when we would never consider neglecting to eat? almost considered insanity to suggest that you ought to miss a meal or two in order to pursue God with fasting. But friends, I ask you, is it not more insane to neglect the means that Jesus Christ gave to his church to pursue God? Is it not more insane to put earthly food and pleasure over the promised reward that Jesus says the Father will give you when you put this into practice? Some of you Bible readers You remember the story of Esau. He traded his birthright so that he could eat some stew that his brother Jacob had made, right? We wonder, why in the world would Esau do that? But we, we make that trade all the time when we neglect the practice of fasting. We trade heavenly rewards. We trade a closer relationship with God. We, we, trade, we trade a lit up prayer life, a healthier body. We trade all of that just so we can have one more meal like Esau. And when Jesus was fasting in the desert, the, te- the devil tempted him to turn stone into bread. And Jesus quotes De- Deuteronomy. And he says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So in fasting, we abstain from earthly food to receive the heavenly food of God's word. We abstain from earthly bread to feed upon him who is the bread of life. In fasting, we rely upon God to sustain us directly. And you'll see that fasting and prayer, they're intimately connected all throughout the scriptures. Fasting is tied to repentance, to seeking God's face, to worship, and to prayer. So fasting, friends, it's way more than just not eating. It's a spiritual practice to show our earnestness, our hunger, our passion for God. We may not offer the sacrifice of animals anymore, friends, but can we not offer the sacrifice of a meal or two from time to time as an offering of worship and praise to God? Richard Foster wrote, fasting must forever center on God. Forever center on God. When we keep God at the center of fasting as our motive, as our goal, as the one that we do it for, as the one whose reward we seek, as the one that we hunger for, 
then our fasting will not be in vain and it will receive the blessing of God. Do you hunger for God more than you do for food? If not, fasting may be in order. We fast to hunger after God, to pursue God. So that's number one, we fast to pursue God. The second reason why we fast is we fast to purify ourselves. We fast to purify ourselves. While keeping God as the main focus of our fasting, that is the of utmost importance, we rightly speak of other reasons why we might fast. We fast to purify ourselves. It's a tool for our own sanctification, our own growth in godliness, self-control, and holiness. The early church fathers, they often wrote of the value that fasting has in controlling and stifling the lust of the flesh and sinful desires. So is there a sin in your life that you, seem to, you just can't get rid of it? You're struggling to, sh- to get free of a certain sin. Well, fasting tied to prayer is a powerful weapon against these things. John Wesley wrote this. We abstain from food with this view, that by the grace of God conveyed into our souls through this outward means, we may be enabled to abstain from every passion and temper which is not pleasing in his sight. We refrain from the one that being endued with power on high, we may be able to refrain from the other. Wesley says, along with the other spiritual disciplines, he makes clear, fasting is a means of grace. It's a means of the way that the Holy Spirit can strengthen us as we refrain from physical sustenance to rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit. I think you have to think of it as like performing a workout. It's a spiritual workout. I'm going to do this exercise in the hope that it's going to make me stronger. You don't see the benefit while you're performing. In fact, when you're performing it, you're getting weaker in exercise. But over time, it makes your body stronger. The same is true with fasting. Over time, it will strengthen you spiritually. St. Basil, he viewed fasting as a healing medicine and a weapon against ungodliness. And he says this, I'm just going to read this to you, but it's, it's, hang with me, it's, it's, it's powerful. It's, and he says, fasting gives birth to prophets. She strengthens the powerful. Fasting makes lawgivers wise. She is a safeguard of a soul a stabilizing companion to the body, a weapon for the brave, a discipline for champions. Fasting knocks over temptations and anoints for godliness. She is a companion to society, the crafter of a sound mind. In wars, she fights bravely. The danger of the inexperienced soldier is that he will put down his shield when the battle is engaged. That's something that must be thoroughly warned against. Don't appear to be putting down the great weapon of fasting. This view of fasting is typical of many of the fathers and and theologians throughout church history. It's a tool, it's a weapon, it's a healing medicine to purify ourselves from sin and, and most importantly, I think, to become more like Jesus. After all, Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness and what did he do right after that? He overcame the temptation of the devil. He found the victory over the devil after fasting. And in the same way, fasting with prayer can help you experience freedom from the enemy's lies and the ways that he has a stronghold in your life. Specifically, I think fasting is a great tool against the deadly sin of gluttony. Traditionally, gluttony has been considered one of the seven deadly 
sins. But nowadays, it's considered nearly a virtue. Gluttony is deadly because it fosters self-indulgent consumerism in your heart. And and most importantly, it's about the heart, friends. It's not about how you look. It's about the heart. And at its core, it's greedy and selfish, which is the opposite of love. In fact, St. Benedict, one of the early founders of monasticism, he went as far as to say that nothing is more contrary to being a Christian than gluttony. Wow. Many church fathers saw, saw gluttony as connected to the original human sin. I mean, what was the first commandment given to Adam and Eve? To not eat. To not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And many of the church fathers saw this as that God was giving them a type of fast. Keep this fast. But because they were not able to keep the fast, their gluttony introduced sin into the world. And we know how much chaos and brokenness and darkness we have in our world. And friends, in the same way, if we let the sin of gluttony go unchecked in our lives, it allows all kinds of spiritual and physical problems to manifest in your body and your soul. In fact, Wesley, he wrote about how many people had harmed both their souls and their bodies because of gluttony. Now, I said before, fasting is primarily about pursuing God. But God also made our bodies. They are temples of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies belong to God and we're not to do with them as we please. We are to honor God with our bodies as Scripture teaches. And all of us at times, we've been guilty of desecrating God's sacred temple by constant gluttony, excess of food, and little regard for our long-term physical health. And some people, from a human standpoint, are taking 10 to 20 years off their life in exchange for the pleasure of some food. Like Esau, we're trading our lives away for some food. And I say this with seriousness. I'm not trying to, make, I'm, I'm not trying to minimize this. And in fact, I, I looked this up to confirm, and it shocked me again that heart disease is the leading cause of death in our country. The, it's number one. And it's primarily caused by a bad diet. And diabetes is like number seven. So two of the top ten reasons people are dying in our country is because of our diet. And so I think we have a spiritual issue when it comes to what we eat and how we eat in our country. So I have no problem suggesting that many of us may need fasting as a type of therapy. That we need this to break our addiction to food and how it's destroying our bodies and our souls. It's a means of getting sober from your addiction and from healing your body from years of constant overfeeding. So strictly speaking, fasting, it's not about the physical benefits. Most Bible commentators will tell you that. But I believe because of the present crisis, No other generation has had to deal with the constant supply of unhealthy food readily available at your fingertips. You used to have to farm for your food in the time of Jesus. You had to work for it. Now you just go to the grocery store and you buy a little Debbie. It's a different time. All right, so because of the present crisis, we need to consider, the church needs to consider that we have not helped people find healing spiritually and physically because we haven't taught about fasting. 
We haven't recommended fasting. We haven't made you aware of fasting and its benefits. Do your own research. In fact, it's becoming like the hit thing now, intermittent fasting for your health. I'm not trying to recommend that, but I find it hilarious that now all the scientists are saying what God knew back in the Old Testament, fasting is good for you, all right? It's good for you. The Apostle Paul even wrote this in 2 Corinthians 7, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So yes, we we can focus on our physical health out of reverence for God. Not vanity, but out of reverence for God. So as a pastor, truly I care for you, I care for your soul, and I also care for your body. I don't want to have to do the funeral of anybody who's gone too soon because of their bad choices physically. I want to see you live. I want to see you thrive. I want to see you live up to your redemptive potential. I don't want you to cut your life short because of your choices to eat what is unhealthy and bad for you. This is a spiritual and physical issue. And so I just want what's best for you. I want you to live up to your potential in God. So fasting, it's a gift from God, I believe, to heal our bodies and our souls so that we can pursue God better. So we fast to pursue God. We fast to purify ourselves, both body and soul. And we fast to practice justice. We fast to practice justice. While most writers and most people connect fasting with prayer, there's also a long tradition of connecting fasting with the almsgiving, the giving to the poor that Jesus taught on earlier. And I think you should think of these three disciplines as together. Giving, praying, and fasting. Ecclesiastes talks about a cord of three strands is not easily broken. I want you to think about three, a three-strand strong spirituality. That when you have these three tied together It's not easily broken. So fasting to practice justice. Let's look at Isaiah 58. Uh, This is uh, one of the most important teachings about fasting in the Bible. And God says through the prophet, "Is is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. So God, through Isaiah, is not telling people to get rid of the spiritual discipline of fasting. He's telling them how to fast properly. Fasting is a sign of our repentance and pursuit of God. And true repentance entails doing what's loving towards God and loving towards our neighbor. So if our fasting does not lead to the ways that we are oppressed towards others or to loving our neighbors and meeting their needs, then we are not truly showing our repentance and therefore fasting is in vain. Through Isaiah, God says a proper fast is one that enacts justice for others. It has to be connected with the needs of the poor and the oppressed. And I think this is also so essential for us who live in such a culture of overabundance and overconsumption. This is something that was warned about by the prophet Ezekiel. Let's put this up here. Now this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, plenty of food, and comfortable security, but didn't support 
the poor and the needy. See, it's the contrast between the plenty, between the overconsumption and the lack of giving to the poor and needy. And it was a travesty worthy of the extreme judgment of God to constantly feed ourselves and neglect the poor who are starving. And Jesus had a parable about this as well. You can put this up on here, Luke 16. There is a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. And we know the end of the story that the rich man showed no mercy. Essentially, this rich man feasted lavishly every day while neglecting the poor at his gate. And he received the judgment of God. And you might wonder, what does this have to do with fasting? I would suggest to you that fasting is a way to end our feasting lavishly every day. It's a way to put an end to our overconsumption, to our greed, and to increase what we can give to the poor and needy. In fact, as early as St. Augustine in the 4th century, he said this. It's up on the screen for you. Almsgiving is a practice which customarily goes along with fasting, so that what is subtracted from the one who has may be added to the one who has not. This is the way to cheat your soul to your own profit, to place firmly in heaven what you take away from the flesh. In other words, what you don't eat, give to the one who doesn't have enough. If you skip a meal, take what you might have spent on that meal and give it to the poor. And if, perhaps if the rich man had started doing this, he could have given poor Lazarus several meals from his table. In addition, simply going, out, going without food is a way to express our solidarity with the poor. It's a way to increase our empathy with those who are hungry, hopefully causing us to increase our giving and our praying for them. See how those are connected? When we fast, it increases our empathy, so therefore we want to pray for them and we want to give to them. That's how fasting is connected to justice. So friends, this is why we fast. We fast to pursue God, to purify ourselves, to practice justice. So I hope by now I've done my pastoral duty and you're all motivated to go and give fasting a try. So how are we going to do it? First of all, I want to say there are some physical conditions that may prevent you from fasting. You might need to consult your doctor um, or your loved ones before, before you begin. Um, or if you have a history of, of an eating disorder of some kind, uh, fasting may not be for you. You may want to consider a partial fast. Uh, that is a fast that restricts certain types of food, which is well attested throughout Christian tradition. That may be a better option, but discern for yourself. But truly, most people can, can physically, they can fast, and I think they should fast. And so I want to challenge you to start by fasting one meal in a week. One meal. Skip one meal in a week. And hopefully from there, you see that God sustains you. It's not the end of the world. And you can begin working your way up. 
In traditional Jewish understanding, fasting was uh, from dawn until the, until the ninth hour. That is from morning until 3 p.m. So you would skip breakfast and lunch, and then you might have an early dinner. So it's really not all that crazy. All right, it was skipping two meals. And some Jews in the time of Jesus, especially the Pharisees, they fasted twice per week until 3 p.m. on Mondays and Thursdays. Now, we might be prone to criticize the Pharisees for this, but I would like to tell you, not so fast. See what I did there? <laughs> yes, dad joke. There is, there is an early Christian document called the Didache, which told Christians not to be like those Jews and fast on Mondays and Thursdays, but to fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. <laughs> which is kind of funny. But Wednesday became associated with Christ's arrest, and Friday became associated with Christ's death. And so it was a way to honor Jesus in the rhythm of fasting. And so at least some early Christians and many others throughout history, they adopted this twice a week until 3 p.m. fast. Now, I'm just giving, the, giving you this as a, a barometer, something to consider, maybe as a goal. But regardless, the Bible gives no command here. I don't want you to become a legalist. You're free to practice fasting as you discern it in the context of prayer and the Holy Spirit and in conversation. You may, want to be, you may want to fast in response to a specific need or a circumstance, but let me encourage you to consider putting something regular in your schedule because I can tell you by personal experience, at least for me, your flesh will not feel like fasting. I, most of the time, I do not feel like it. I love to eat. You all know me. I'm the pastor who wants to eat with you all the time. All right, that's what I love. But we need to have fasting in our life. So I think there are benefits to setting a schedule to saying, I'm going to fast at this time and I'm going to stick to it. And by the way, I think there's no spiritual issue in telling some people that this is your plan. It's probably a courtesy to your family, to a few friends that, hey, I'm going to be doing this. And if you're like me, you need some accountability. That, hey, I said I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. And so that's something I've done in my own life. And so try picking a time and telling a few close friends about it. And summing this up, Dallas Willard says, persons well used, well used to fasting as a systematic practice will have a clear and constant sense of their resources in God. And that's what we're ultimately after. We do all this to pursue God, to be close to God, to conform ourselves to the image of Jesus. We give and we fast and we pray because Jesus gave himself for us. He fasted for our sakes in the wilderness and he ever lives to intercede for us, his people. And in light of all of the crises going on, in light of our own dire spiritual need for more passion and fervor for God, I implore you, Take up the weapon of fasting and be prepared to experience the reward from your Father in heaven. Amen.